0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to ClapperCast episode 106. Oh, God, that's getting up there. Today, we have a very fun episode. Not only are we joined by the iconic Alina Falds, who, yes, did spend 30 minutes having microphone issues before we recorded this. But we do have a guest today. Alicia, you write for Film Days. You write for Exclaim. You are here. Welcome to the podcast. How is everyone doing today? A
1: plus. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. We're really happy
2: to have you. I'm really excited to have you. I I remember like a month ago, you tweeted like somebody invite me on your podcast and I saw it and I sent it to Paul and Carson. I was like, can we have her on? I really want to be friends with her.
1: (laughs) Dude, I am. uh, So I'm going to be very uh, awkward right now just because this is my um, first ever podcast. Pop in the podcast, Cherry, right now. Um, So thank you once again. Um, So cool to be here. Sorry if I'm embarrassing. Yeah, you.
0: We love that. I love that. Did
2: you, did you guys have a good week? Did anything eventful happen?
1: I cried a lot.
0: Yeah. <laughs> agreed. <like>
1: <laughs> um, no, it's been I... a
0: fine week. I went hiking a shit ton. I went hiking like five days this week, which is kind That's of crazy. Wild. Which is fun because I found a new like route and I went for work with my work friends. And then I went with my roommate and it was fun. So I don't know i i don't know i i don't like being asked how i am that's not my that's not the question alina i ask you yeah, you don't Chris ask me Never
2: include you because it's always just paul and i updating the, like the shenanigans we've been up to and never you
0: the last time you asked i literally bought like a snake that week and i forgot to mention it cause you I was have caught a snake so off guard i do own a i own a ball python it's named it's Her name's tiff tiffany tiff for short but yes Tiffany's the full name <laughs>
2: I had a good week. Since I've moved to Ottawa, I've actually been hanging out with people again. I have friends again, guys, like in real life. It's so exciting. Um, I went to a concert last night with my dad and sister. We went to see Bruce Coburn at the National Arts Center. Then on Friday, I went on a date, and it was like semi-okay, semi-insane. Hold on. Hold on. So we went to this vegan restaurant in Ottawa called Pure Kitchen because I love that place. And I had – since my birthday was on the 16th, they got like – and I'm a member of like Pure Kitchen. They're like, you get a free dessert 30 days after your birthday. So I'm like, let's go to Pure Kitchen. And so this guy, like I meet him at the restaurant and he like sits down. And it was really nice. Like the first half, we just like chatted uh, like for an hour and a half and it didn't feel like an hour and a half. And then like we got the bill. And then our plan was to go to the movies because we, we ate dinner first, because it's still Ramadan, and I was like, okay, we have to go at this specific time, so I can eat at a specific time, and then we can go to the movies after, so by the time we were finished, like, The Northman, or The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which were the two options, were starting at, like, 10 p.m., and he knew, like, just, start we were standing outside the restaurant waiting for an Uber, and he was, like, freaked out by, like, time, and I was like, why? Like, most movies, like, either start at 7 p.m. or 10 p.m. on like the night time. Why why is this like such a concern? He's like, "Oh, I have a curfew at midnight." And I was like, "You're 31 years old?" Shut what up. You, what do you mean? Like I'm I'm 25, so like it's not a huge age gap." And I was like, "What what do you mean you have a curfew? And do you live with your parents?" Not that it's like a bad thing to live with your parents, but I was like, "Okay. If you're 31 and living with your parents and you're white, I have issues with you. But no, no, no. That was not the case. It's worse, guys. It is worse. He's like, no, I was in prison for for 18 months. And I was like, excuse me? So he's living in a halfway house in like downtown. And so like he has to be back before midnight or he like breaks his probation or something. Um, yeah, he like went to jail for he was supposed to be for three years, but he got out in 18 months for like good behavior. And he went to jail for like drug trafficking and whatever. Cocaine, just like my ex boyfriend. And also he's a Sagittarius, just like my ex boyfriend. So like the first half went really, really well. And it was nice. And I like still hung out with him for a bit afterwards. We just didn't go to see the Northman um but like the more i've been thinking about it the more i've been like freaked out because it's very similar to my ex-boyfriend my ex never went to prison though that's the thing so i'm like oh shit i'm probably gonna be making the same mistake again and that was my weekend and also the reason why i couldn't see the northman
0: i know it's not logical but when you told me the story you're telling us the story and you're like oh he's in prison i was like oh he murdered someone I was yes! fully convinced <laughs> it was a, like you were gonna be killed but it wasn't. No. And it's valid. It's valid, Which you know. It's drug
2: trafficking. Um, apparently, he like was, he's like, yeah, Like, I used to be an addict. I've been sober for like two years. Like, I'm really trying to turn my life around. I'm like, that's fantastic. I mm-hmm. love that for him. But also, oh my god.
1: I am amazed by this entire story.
2: We can talk about the movies now.
0: And first, let's start things off with a new release this week. The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent featuring the lovely Nicolas Cage. I will start things off here because here's the thing. I like Nicolas Cage. There's no, you know, of course I like Nicolas Cage. I think he's a great actor. He was a funny meme. But recently it's kind of been like, okay, five years ago, Nicolas Cage yelling shit. Hilarious. Now it's like, well, the memes kind of passed. So when they were like, we're going to make the meme a film, I was a little worried. Um, But I did enjoy this. I didn't love it. I'm just gonna say it I am you know I wasn't necessarily in love with the film it's pretty standard from a plot perspective but like I don't know if you want just Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage and talking to like a younger crazy version of himself as they like joke about Paddington 2 and like film Twitter favorites yeah this is gonna do good for you it just it wasn't necessarily like my type of comedy but I still liked it Um, it definitely could have been way 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 worse than it was
1: Mm,
2: the umbrella weight of massive talent actually really surprised me i really had fun with it um i am not a massive Nicolas cage fan like i haven't seen con air i haven't seen moonstruck haven't seen face off blah, blah, blah. i've seen like random shit i've seen national treasure i only saw that like two weeks ago i've seen Crudes. i've seen, seen i didn't Croods even too? see pig no i did not see Crude's too oh I'm a 44-year-old I'm a man, Carson. I haven't seen my the Fuck Would I Secrets 2. <laughs> um, I didn't see Mandy. I like Nicolas Cage, but I've slacked on his filmography. So I didn't know what I was getting into with this very much. But I was mostly looking forward to it because I love Pedro Pascal. Um, so in case for whatever reason you don't know, because I feel like everybody on film Twitter knows what The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent is about. But this film, uh, Nicolas Cage plays a fictionalized version of himself and he's like just in a bit of a career slump i guess he's also in a bit of career slump in real life i don't know maybe he is maybe he's not i don't really watch his movies very much and uh his agent played by neil patrick harris is like hey bestie um i you're in a lot of debt you're going through a divorce your daughter hates you you really need money because you're struggling Um, there's this weird Spanish guy who's, like, a billionaire, and he wants to pay you a million dollars to go to his birthday party. Nicolas Cage is, like, no, I'm depressed. I'm gonna retire from acting, blah, blah, blah. Then all of a sudden, he changes his mind, and he's, like, okay, I really need the money. I will go on this, uh, with this weird birthday party in Mallorca, Spain, with this weird rich guy, and the rich guy is played by Pedro Pascal, and he's, like, the number one Nicolas Cage fan, and he's rich from olive trees, I think they said, but he's actually not. It, you later come to find out that he's actually an international Spanish arms dealer. He runs a whole ass, like, weapons cartel. And you're like, oh my god. Um, and you find that out by from Tiffany Haddish and Ike Barinholtz, who play CIA agents that are, like, tracking Pedro Pascal's character. And then Nicolas Cage gets involved with the CIA to bring down Pedro Pascal, and then shenanigans ensue, and that's what The Unbearable Way to Massive Palin is about. So, here's your synopsis. You're welcome. Yeah, I, I just, like, I love insane movies, so this just really worked for me. It was just, like, really, like, silly and stupid, but it just, like, it worked really well for some reason. I was laughing like crazy. My entire theater was laughing like crazy, especially this one woman, let's call her Diane. Diane was losing her fucking mind. She comes in with her husband. She looks like uptight works for the federal government type. So I was like, "Why are you here, Diane? I thought her husband had dragged her to it." But then the movie starts, and, like, every time, like, a joke hits, Diane is laughing at, like, 20 octaves higher than everybody else in the entire theater. It was amazing. And I also find that when everyone else is ar- around me is enjoying the film, I enjoy it that much more. So I think the atmosphere I was in definitely elevated a bit. But I had a really good time. I thought Nicolas Cage was great. I thought Pedro Pascal was great. The supporting cast worked really well for me also um i don't know i didn't really like the bits with like nicholas nicholas cage's like fictional family and how he's like going through a divorce and like his like strained relationship with his like 16 year old daughter that wasn't as much for me but i really liked uh nicholas cage and pedro pascal together they had great chemistry
0: see i think atmosphere might have been been a big reason why I wasn't really into it because I was alone in a theater. So the atmosphere was dead. It was it was <laughs> me alone at like 9 p.m. Like, hmm, not not sure about this one. So it adds up. It does add up.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And also, I just like had no idea where this was going. Like I hadn't, I don't think I've even seen the trailer for Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent before I went and sat down to it. I just knew that like, Pedro Pascal was inviting Nicolas Cage to his birthday party and he was like some rich guy. So like when the CIA stuff was happening, I was like, "Oh my god, what fucking movie am I watching?" And also, um Pedro Pascal's character has like written a screenplay and then to, so in order for like Nicolas Cage to continue working with this CIA and stay in Spain longer, he like befriends Pedro Pascal's character and they start working on this movie together and it mirrors the actual movie we're watching and i just thought that was really funny and clever
0: it's super clever how they work that stuff in i do like mm-hmm. the idea that in this world like pedro pascal does not exist like the, tiffany I mean, Patrick harris
2: doesn't exist either
0: well i mean yeah. ugh, heaven but um <laughs> tiffany Hadish doesn't exist you know it's quite mm-hmm. funny but um yeah no i thought it was very clever like i definitely think this is one of the most we actually talked about it, we well We will talk about it, I guess, actually, technically. But, like, this is a very original film. I like that there's originality. That's very nice to see when every other movie is doing exactly the same thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I appreciate the film. Fine. Um, I think Nicolas Cage is pretty good I agree I didn't really care about the family I also like how Mm -hmm. he's kind of disowned that bit and he's like yeah I'm nothing like this in real life like I love my family it's great so that's funny (laughs) but um yeah yeah maybe
2: that's why it didn't work as well I don't know there was just something about it maybe it was like the actresses who played his like wife and daughter but I was just like every time they were on screen I was like I don't care go back to Pedro Pascal um
0: i love pedro pascal in this i will say i think so his also like good. his relationship with nicholas cage is great it's like they mm-hmm. have this a uh, very great stare down at one mm-hmm. point in the film that's like it's really good
2: they also like nicholas cage is like creeped out by him at first because like pedro pascal is like this huge fanboy obviously like he paid a million dollars to have nicholas cage's birthday party um and like So Nicolas Cage is, like, very standoffish with him, and then they do such a good job of, like, unraveling that, and then they, like, slowly their friendship blossoms, Then all of a sudden they're, like, best of friends, and it just, like, makes the rest of the movie and, like, the finale just work so well. Um, Yeah, honestly, I feel like the only thing I didn't like about it was Nicolas Cage's family.
0: Oh, I did not like the. Uh, there's sometimes visually when there's two Nicholas Cages that the younger oh, Nicholas Cage looks that. bad. That was
2: horrific. Yeah, for some reason Nicholas Cage like hallucinates a younger version of himself in like a leather jacket and a Wild at Heart T-shirt. I've not seen that movie. Is just right. his character dressed like that in that movie, probably.
0: I've never seen it.
2: <laughs> okay, I don't know. Um, I'm assuming that he just like imagines this wild at heart version of him was he even i don't know what that movie even is hold on oh it's the david lynch movie wild at heart that's a david lynch movie i haven't seen it sorry nick Um, didn't see it (laughs) didn't see it well, Laura Dern and Willem Dafoe isn't it. Okay, I haven't seen this movie. I've really slacked on David Lynch's filmography. I'm sorry. But basically, an unbearable way of massive talent. I assume Nicolas Cage hallucinates this younger version, Wild at Heart version of himself. And this the younger version of him is so uncanny. Valley CGI. G I. It is terrifying. Like it's actually horrific. Um, there's a point in the film where Nicolas Cage sees all of Pedro Pascal's Nicolas Cage and there's like a wax figure, and the wax figure looked better than the CGI. DH, I mean, it's Nicholas shocked,
0: it's shockingly bad.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's just really, really creepy. And I was like, oh my god, this could be a horror movie. But like, it also they never explain why he's hallucinating his younger self, but it happens like three or four times, maybe. And, like, the younger version of him is, like, really adamant about, like, becoming a movie star again, while, like, the older, actual Nicolas Cage is, like, more passionate about, like, smaller indie films – like, I guess he is in real life. I wonder if uh, the real Nicolas Cage hallucinates the wild at heart version of himself, too.
0: It's a joke that seems like it would only work for Nicolas Cage. Because we don't know what <laughs> Nicolas Cage's ideals were as a young person starring in David Lynch films. So, like, the joke doesn't really land for us. It would mm-hmm. have to land for Nicolas Cage. Which is extremely mm-hmm. weird to write an entire joke and spend that much money to make a joke for Nicolas Cage, who's already in your film. But there it is. Mm-hmm.
2: Also, I don't know if this is like true or not, but I saw like a film updates tweet. So I don't know if it was the real film updates or the fake film updates. But like apparently, Daniel Day Lewis and Christian Bale are, were like in consideration to play Nicholas, the fictional Nicholas Cage, and then the role went to Nicholas Cage. I'm like, that can't be true, right? Because why would you do this movie without the actual Nicholas Cage? That's just confusing to me. So
0: well, I think I, I might have
2: fallen for a Twitter meme again.
0: Well, I know Cage declined the film multiple times. Like, three oh. or four times it was presented to him over, like, a decade. And he said no each time. But he received, like, a personalized letter from the director kind of explaining, I guess, the vision. And then he signed on. But mm. may, I, it feels weird that you would make it with someone else. But I guess maybe it was just a necessity at one point. I have no idea.
2: That is really, really interesting. So, the I'm assuming the director, like, Tom Gormikin or whatever. I don't know who that is. like. Came up with this idea, and then he just like begged Nichols to do it. Wow, that's interesting.
0: Invited him for one million dollars to appear at a wedding, and then presented the screenplay to him there. He did. So he went
2: to the wedding and got paid a million dollars.
0: I don't think it's true. I that was a joke. Could be. I don't know. (laughs) Who knows?
2: Um, that's interesting. (laughs) Also, I was getting Mamma Mia vibes from like the setting. And I'm reading on Wikipedia right now, it's filmed in Croatia, which Mamma Mia was also filmed in, not Spain. It was This movie does not take place in Spain, it's in Croatia.
0: When they in, were driving down to like the village or whatever, yeah, it was definitely Mamma Mia like- vibes. I was shocked they never, because with how like in culture this film is, I'm shocked they never sang Dancing Queen or something, because Mamma Mia <laughs> 2 specifically is like film Twitter culture in a way, kind of like Paddington 2, so mm-hmm. who knows.
2: Uh, the Paddington Two joke did not work for me.
0: Me neither. Like
2: like there's this point where Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal are talking and like Nicolas Cage is asking Pedro, like, what are your top three favorite films? And the third one is Paddington Two. And I like Paddington Two just fine, but like oh
0: my god. It Look, just m- like
2: it felt like they only put it in for film Twitter. Like I just yeah. I didn't need that. It's like,
0: did you see the new scream? I forget if you... Yeah, yeah, you know. I did. It's kind of like when they're like... I think they mentioned The Witch or something. And it's like... It's done so, like, awkwardly to where you're like... Oh, they're just mentioning this whole film Twitter. Like, orgasms. Oh,
2: when, like when they're talking about elevated horror. Yeah. Yeah. But
0: here's the thing. Like, Pat. Well, I love The Witch. But in this case, mm-hmm. like... I also like Paddington, too. But speaking of memes that, like... Kind of have outstayed their welcome. It's not the best film ever made. I'm just gonna say it. So... I don't know. It, it, it's, if this film came out... Let's say three years ago, I think it would have been just a lot better, <laughs> all around.
2: Yeah, or if they had changed it to like a different joke,
0: or like yeah. just
2: like because because the characters that say they like Paddington too, it just like doesn't really make sense because like Pedro Pascal's character, his like favorite film was Face Off, and I forgot what the second one is, and then like Paddington Two is just like really out of left field, like. Though okay, I feel but like the... to be fair, if it
0: was Mamma Two, would you have laughed? Yeah.
2: Yeah. But like, I don't know. I just, I felt like that they only did it because of the meme and not because it actually suited the characters. Well, yeah. Because this is a spoiler. Um, But later in the movie, like at the very end, Nicolas Cage is with his ex wife and daughter, his teenage daughter. And one of the, like, struggles he's been having with his teenage daughter is that she feels like Nicolas Cage is, like, molding her into, like, a miniature version of himself. Like, there's this whole part towards, like, the beginning where she's upset that Nicolas Cage Cage made her watch, like, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And she's like... Why can't we ever... So anyway, so at the very end of the film, Nicolas Cage lets his daughter pick something and then she picks Paddington 2. And I'm like, she's a 16-year-old girl. She's not watching Paddington 2. No. Like, she's not into film. I don't think... Like, they make it very clear that she does not give a shit about the stuff that nicholas cage does for work so like she wouldn't know about the film twitter patenting to meme right like she's not a part of film twitter no
0: she so does not it, would make more sense,
2: it would make way more sense if his daughter made him watch i don't know mean girls yeah. clueless something like that more <laughs> suited to her personality
0: could you imagine if they turned on 2021 cinderella that would have been the best thing ever
2: exactly like <laughs> That, that, like, I get the joke, it's funny, but I feel like the joke doesn't suit the characters they attached it to.
0: Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. I, it, I just, it just wasn't funny, I think, it's like, mm-hmm. my thing. Like then, and,
2: and I also yeah. feel like normal people that watch this movie, like Diane and her husband, that were laughing it up, they're not going to get that. They're like, <laughs> what the fuck's Paddington too?
0: <laughs> I bet <laughs> Diane was silent during that part. That was the yeah, one joke. Like, no. She did
2: not laugh during that. That was the one joke she was not laughing at. <laughs> shout out diane
0: love you diane favorite on the pod (laughs) well i think that's gonna do it for our new release this week quick and easy now let's get Mm -hmm. to the fun stuff alina i'm gonna turn over to you why don't you explain what we're doing today
2: so I once again had an idea for a little segment, and this is more of like a one-off thing because we're already like three weeks into the month, but it's Ramadan, and normally when I'm not up to trouble, I do care about like my family and religion and things like that. So, you know, I've been fasting for the month, and I was like, hey, besties, I feel like it'd be a really – oh, my God, Cat, please do not knock anything out. Can you guys still hear me because he's laying on my wires? You're good. I'm not going to move him then. I'm scared. Um, I, I said to Paul and Carson, Hey, it's Ramadan. Maybe we can do like a little segment on Muslim filmmakers. But April has been like a very, very packed month for, uh, nonsense we've been doing for podcast segments. So like we only have managed to do one week, which is fine. Um, cause Eid is next week and I probably won't be here, but whatever. So yeah, Muslim filmmakers. That was the idea. It was prompted by Ramadan. Um, and also is prompted because we were, The two weeks ago, we did a little segment on for Animation April, and originally I wanted to do Persephalus, uh, but we decided to push it to today. So we're going to talk about, um, Mar. oh shit, I looked up her name and how to pronounce it right before, and now I've forgotten. Marjan Satrapi? Yes. We're doing two films by Marjan Satrapi. first one is Persepolis, because that is her um, animated film. And it's on the Letterboxd Top 100 animation. And I've been really wanting to watch this for a really long time. And then I was telling Alicia about that. And she also came up with the idea to do Satrapi's other film, Chicken with Plums. We're doing both of those today. And that's very exciting for us. Yeah. Um, So I
1: really liked Persepolis. What did you guys oh. think of it? We can get into it. It, the first time I watched it, it was a life-changing experience just because I've never seen anybody explore just, I'd never up until that point had seen anybody explore the idea of a woman in that environment, like a young woman in that environment. Um, so it, it takes place in like, um, during the revolution in Iran and, it's so good. A++ made me cry, made me feel all the feels, all the things. It's so good.
0: It is fantastic. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know I fuck with Flea. Flea is like one of my favorite films in decades. And this is like, I. there's more distance between me and this, so I don't have as close of a relationship with this as they do with flea um specifically the queer elements of flea but like yeah this is spectacular it reminds me so much of flea i think films I think be like a really this, good double feature yes I could not agree depressing. more well depressing to a point but also like yes yes, both are very turbulent paths but they both also end with like kind of a celebration of life in a sense i think it would work well but like i think films like this are so important to be made and seen not just to expose like the very individual stories and journeys and troubles that people go on but also to show that even in these very certain situations in these extreme situations it's still so universal in so many ways. The emotions of growing up, the emotions of finding yourself. Um, it's that duality of being so individual and so unique, but also being so universal that, I mean, it's just, it, it stays with you. It sticks with you. It's stunning. And the animation in this is awesome. Like the animation, it's so interesting. So many of these films, people say, I even read a review of this and people were like, oh, there's no reason it's animated absolutely not this has to be animated it has to be animated like this um the book itself i've not read but i've had some exposure to um i'm happy that it seems like they. it's a pretty direct correlation between book and film mm-hmm. no i yep. think this is stunning stuff i'm happy paul's not here because i guarantee you paul would give this one star and hate it for no reason Why but... he
1: hated flea hated it loathed it listen i haven't seen flea but i have heard nothing but the best stuff about it um how would
2: you
1: he guy? He's a no, he's just a really weird guy.
2: Cause like you think he'll like something, and like you've convinced yourself like this is something Paul would really like. It's like so up his alley. And then you're like, Paul, watch this for the podcast. And then he comes back. And he's like, that was garbage. One star. So he hated Flea. The same thing happened with X. Carson and I were convinced he was gonna love X. No also hated it half star and i was like why do you hate everything we think you're gonna like
0: no but then you will have a film you know paul will hate you're like oh this is like he's so gonna one star this and then he five stars it and it's yeah. crazy it's like what yeah. is happening he's,
2: he's an enigma i wish he was here so you could meet him but yeah he's just he's a confusing fellow anyway back to persepolis <laughs> i knew that it was about like the the iranian the iranian revolution But I didn't know, like, how personal of a film it actually was. Like, the main character is, like, Satrapi. Like, they Mm -hmm. said her name. And I was like, oh. I didn't realize, like, how um, autobiographical it actually was. Like, um, because I can't imagine, like, living through that time. I don't know, like, a ton about that time period or in that, like, geographic region. I, I took a class in university, on modern Middle East, and I think we only covered it over, like, one week in the entire semester, because there was just so much stuff, because we didn't – did, like, a bunch of the Middle Eastern countries, like, including right. Egypt and, like, North Africa and whatever. Um, But, yeah, I just, like – I I just, like, I don't even know what to say about it, because it was just, like, so poignant of a film.
1: I love um, Satrapi's Marjan Satrapi. I can't pronounce her name either, but I just um, love her – sense of humor and you really see that come through especially in chicken with plums so chicken with plums is like co-directed by Sotrapi once again but it's you have you you guys you guys have seen Amelie right yes it's that same it's you know how Amelie has that weird thing um, oh wait no yes I
2: have yes I have I saw it in grade 12 French class
0: Yes. It's your school and their similar. film choices can I just say it gets better and better it's great yeah.
1: <laughs> it's because I was in French Immersion Ooh.
0: So, sorry to yeah. interrupt you so much Alicia <laughs> please continue. No, it's okay.
1: I was just talking about how they both both films share that um, you know sharp sense of humor that kind of um, cuts like kind of um, I guess you know punctures the intensity of like the subject matter of each of the films Um and I really appreciate it in Persepolis. Um it just it's and I love how you see that coming from her grandmother and everything. So yeah, that's something that um like a through line through both of the films. And it would it would be a great um it would be a great thing to like do a double feature with Flea, but I feel like it would you would have to watch Persepolis after Flea just to kinda like decompress a bit, even though both have intense subject matters. So that's my two cents on that.
0: I think the humor, like Working humor into a story like this at first might seem off or odd, but like in practice and really seeing it again, I mean, every ounce of the story is done so authentically and so real that like, no, that's just how life is. I think there's a ton of films out there that just try to be like as dark and as depressing as possible or like just stick with like the pain for, you know, and, and there's some great films like that. But in the world, there is humor even in those darkest moments. I think when you can work that and when you can write that, um, it just adds to how authentic it feels. I'm kind of with Alina where I'm struggling to think of what I'll say just because like not just is it so good, but it's also just so personal that it's kind of hard to have like any real issue with because like that's just this is life. Like it just is a reflection of life, a slice of life presented authentically. And like that's it.
1: And I think the sense of humor also kind of um, speaks to the absurdity of war itself. One of my favorite movies from uh, this past 2021's TIFF was um, this movie called Huda Salon. And it really, it uh, takes place in um, occupied Palestine. And it's a very grim and like, it's obviously very grim and very dire subject matter. But you have... When you when you're faced with a death in the way that these characters are, you can't but laugh at it because it's the only way you can deal with something as incomprehensible as death is. So, like with the revolution in Persepolis, I feel like so many of these characters, especially the grandmother, that's how you kind of uh, process it, I guess. You, you can't even process it process it in the moment. Just I guess it's just how you live with it, you know. If you can't laugh at it, then you're going to be crying, but crying all the time about this is going to be exhausting, and you also need to survive, so you have to make jokes about it. And it really shows through in Sugar with Plums the sense of humor that—so um, the movie Sugar with Plums, just to quickly go over what it's about, it's um, a violinist named Nasser Ali who whose violin gets broken um by his wife she, she smashes it because she's like to him all you do is you play the music you don't take care of your kids and me um, this also the movie takes place in the 50s and uh so his violin gets broken in the very beginning of the film and he decides you know i've lost my will to live now so he um confines himself to his bed for eight days dies on the eighth day and the entire movie is him kind of like reminiscing over his life the pivotal moments and he does it in like that very blunt I don't know if it's a French sense of humor or if it's an Iranian sense of humor. I don't know what it is, but it's absurd in, like, the most beautiful way. And it deals with, you know, coming to terms with your own death because the guy basically commits suicide. But he does it with a very interesting sense of humor, I guess. Mm-hmm.
2: I hadn't heard of Chicken with Plums before you mentioned it, Alicia. Um And it didn't, like, hit me the same that Persepolis did, which is fine because they're, like, completely different films. Um, But I just, like, really was into the theme, like, of the movie. Like, it's, it's just, like, a movie that's, like, art is so vital to life. So, like, as soon as his, like, violin is gone, his life is, like, over. And, like, I don't consider myself, like, an artist necessarily, but, like... I kind of, like, relate to him in that sense because, like, why do we fucking podcast every week? Because, like, it's just – that's our version of Art Carson. So, like, I, I don't know. I kind of – it reminded me of, like, that. Like, because I feel like even though you get, like, sick and tired of doing, like, the same thing over and over again sometimes, like, I know we get tired of podcasting, but we, like, slow power through it. And then once we actually start recording, we're like, oh, yeah, this is why we like this. Um, I don't know. I just – it, it was, like, really special in that that sense. For some reason, the the humor didn't work as well for me. There was, like, some jokes that hit and then some that didn't, but mm-hmm. I really liked it. And also, this movie, uh, Satrapi did this with the same co-director, As yeah. Persepolis. Yeah. I was trying to figure out, like, how their like directing relationship came to be but I couldn't find I didn't look very hard I only had like 10 minutes between like when I got home and recording um but it didn't say anything about it like on any of the film's Wikipedias or even like theirs but like she's worked with Vincent Perrineau I think is his name Mm -hmm. uh like
1: quite a bit I was just gonna talk about um Alina you talked about art and the vitality of it I something that they talk about quite a bit in chicken with plums. Um, So uh, Hassan Ali's, no, Nasser Ali, sorry, his teacher in um, somewhere where he goes to learn how to play the violin. He talks quite a bit about catching a sigh from the air and like kind of um, transmuting it through your violin. And like, I guess like the life, I guess is coming through art. And then his mother also talks about how cigarette smoke um, uh, kind of, lets out your soul and when you breathe out the smoke like so i love the idea that movie had about um, how art is all around you and you kind of um, the tools around you whether it be like a cigarette or a violin those things kind of help you to express the so vital aspects of living and once those things those tools are taken away you kind of do lose your will to live i guess and what else is there to do when you can't make art but die? Which kind of, like, is so beautiful. And you can see that quite a bit in Persepolis and, like, the mode of its expression. Like, it needed to be animated. It needed to be art in that kind of way. Um, because, you know, it's, like, a certain way to express life. And I love I love that. There's also a lot of quite a bit of animation in Sugar with Plum. So, if, you know, if anybody mm-hmm. listening likes animation like that, then definitely do check out Sugar with Plum. Uh, Ch- Chicken with Plum, sorry. The best. Did I call it sugar?
0: You have been, but that's okay. Sorry. <laughs> the best segments of that film are animated, I will say. Um, I think I'm probably the least positive on the film. I still like it though. And I still think the overall backbone, seeing the narrative ties between that and Perceptualist, I think it's clear and I think it works fine. I think the struggle comes a bit in trying to find a story that is based more in fiction. I think sometimes, also just being live action, I think I would have liked it more if it was animated, considering there's a lot of dream sequences, there's a lot of like and some of them are animated, to be fair, but like, there is there was just an overall lack, I think, of like not clarity, but just like I feel like it could have been more focused. It could have been a bit cleaner here and there, and I don't think it necessarily grabbed my attention like *Precipitous*. But I still think it's good. I like definitely do not dislike the film or anything. Um, I did not personally have necessarily a huge emotional reaction, but I love talking about it. I love like he- hearing you guys talk about how much the story, I guess, like talked to you or touched you about art, like you know, retroactively. Maybe I like this film more than I thought I did. But in the moment, I will say this was definitely a little bit more boring, but I still like it. And I think the best thing about it is like you can still tell the filmmakers are inspired and the filmmakers have potential and they, you know, they have a vision and they're trying to tackle kind of turn this new corner. I guess like just add another chapter to their careers. Um, I'd be interested to see more of their work. You know, I definitely think there's a lot of potential here. I just don't know if Chicken with Plums necessarily for me is the realization of that potential.
2: Mm -hmm. So I know Chicken with Plums is Satrapi's like second film and like these two are the only ones of hers that I've seen but like when I was looking on Letterboxd earlier she has done like another insane movie and I was wondering if you guys had seen it. It's called The Voices. It's from 2014 and it's like only directed by her so Vincent's not with her. Um, and it has Ryan Reynolds in it. And the synopsis on Letterbox says a mentally unhinged factory worker must decide whether to listen to his talking cat and become a killer or follow his dog's advice to keep striving for normalcy. So, like, I don't know a lot about Satrapi, but I think I love her. Like,
0: my, that's insane. i want to watch that my, one really badly i yeah, will say radio let's that one next <laughs> i love that i will say radioactive her next one we did talk about early early clapper like first I was few episodes we were
2: like officially hosts
0: oh it was I, way before like, i think like it
2: was the like days Jack.
0: it was like episode three or four um, i was not
2: on that one because i didn't see radioactive <laughs> i will say i did yeah. see
0: radioactive and i thought it was very bad but not gonna judge her <laughs> i thought you know not my thing but I definitely want to watch The Voices, like, really badly. My mm-hmm.
1: sister has seen it, and she just loves it so much. She told me to watch it. It just ex- escaped my mind. Um, but I to going back to what, Carson, you said about um, the disjointedness of uh, Chicken with Plums, I would have to disagree. I'm going to be very – I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't want to be rude. But <laughs> I disagree. No, go because go um, What I really appreciated about Chicken with Plums is that uh, – kind of stories contained within stories and the circuitousness of it it's very it's very oral storytelling-esque uh, so i think it made me reminded me quite a bit about um, thousand and one nights in the way that you have you you have people starting stories and then being re- like oh i'm reminded of this or you know somebody told me about this and i it reminded me quite a bit also about listening to my grandmother and my mom tell me stories at bedtime it it really taps into that I don't know how Satravi does it, but she visually embodies or uh, personifies, I guess, a very oral storytelling embedded in kind of, I guess, Middle Eastern traditions of telling and teaching, I guess, passing down quite a bit of teachings. I feel like both movies, Persepolis and Chicken with Plums, pass down the idea of learning from your elders and, you know, final words and stuff like that. And it was very intuitive intuitively familiar to me um chicken with plums in the way the melodrama of like the parents and you know it always it always being very romantic and life and deathy it's very it's very um, thousand and one nights in my mind that's what i wanted to say
0: <laughs> well for disagreeing with me you are banned from the podcast from now on oh god see yeah, i knew so, it sorry
1: <laughs> i'm so sorry
0: <laughs> no yeah I definitely see that comparison I think maybe then I would have liked this more as like I don't know I just think for like I I do feel like it's probably more of a subjective thing with just how I like like my narratives in film I do think like had this been a podcast or maybe something else like maybe I would have liked it more Um, or if I just went in more I guess kind of prepared for that kind of narrative um, I definitely could see that working better for me
1: did you guys have a favorite scene in either Persepolis or Chicken,
2: mm, I don't know about a like particular scene, but like I agree with what Carson said with like Chicken with Plums. I loved the animated sequence in there. Mm-hmm. I don't
0: know. I love in Persepolis when she gets accused of being a punk because of her mm-hmm. shoes and she's like, No, they're not. They're, I play basketball. And then like her jacket is like, Punk's not dead. And it's like, mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> that's great. Wait.
2: How could I forget the eye of the tiger scene in Persepolis? Yeah. That was everything. Look, any reference to
0: ABBA and Dancing Queen, I will also just like, I'll take. Love it. Mm
2: -hmm. There's just a lot of really good moments in both films.
1: Big time. Mm -hmm. I loved, um, I think the most touching part for, so Chicken with Plums is the one I watched. It's like top of mind for me just because it was most recent. But my Mm -hmm. favorite aspect of it was just the ending, like the last 10 minutes so much of it is just retelling the same story over and over again and the ending when they tell you like the entire story about how like that final day before the beginning of like the final 8 days of his life like it just takes place again and again that just hits so much harder and i don't know how she's able to tell the same story again and again each time with like nuance but she does it just because of like the multiplicity of perspectives going on But I I love that. I loved the ending when you see Iran just crying by the wall because she knew it was him all along and it was all so beautiful. My romantic heart.
0: It's devastating (laughs) when she starts crying. It's like, yeah, that's, that's good.
1: And Isabel Rossellini, how great was she? Loved her.
2: Also fantastic. Yeah, I just like... I definitely want to check out more of Satrapi's films, especially The Voices. Like, that just... I just, like... She's just really unique. And, like, I know unique is an overused word, but, like, I don't think anybody could... Like, not everybody could make a film like this or a film that, like, sounds like The Voices is. So I really, like, appreciate that Uh, originality, especially when... uh, we are suffering through the same garbage over and over again these days.
0: I think I really appreciate it <laughs> whenever like a voice from an artist is clear, whenever like a director's mm-hmm. style or voice and you can see like even regardless on if I like to film or not, like if you can see through different efforts from the same director, like a clear like patchwork of ideas and theses and narrative ideas and perspectives I love that. That's why I like Wes Anderson. I like a bunch of you know directors. And she's definitely up there in each of her films, whether I like it or not, like you can see her voice. You can like see her ideals on filmmaking and how to tell a story. And I think that's really inspiring. I love that because in every new film that comes out, it's like, oh, I get to experience that again. And I get to, I feel like throughout her projects, you learn more and more about her her as an artist and her mm-hmm. as a person when it comes together like that it is so inspiring i think and it's so much more engaging than like and there's plenty of great directors i'm not saying you have to do that to be great but like I, it's so much more inspiring to look at a filmography like that for me than just a director who cranks out random fi- films like it's just that little added bonus reward of watching the project with that context i i love it so i definitely i want to watch the voices we definitely like should do that At some point on this podcast, we'll figure out some bullshit way to do it. But, like, we should do it.
2: Have a Ryan Reynolds week. Come on. Love that. TikTok (laughs) would love that. The straight men of TikTok. We'll get them that way, Carson.
1: We haven't cracked that demographic yet.
0: It is a great (laughs) idea, actually. Well, Paul, (laughs) get ready.
1: (laughs) See, I told um, my editor at Film Days the other day about um, the Amityville Horror, the Ryan Reynolds remake. He's so good. Mm -hmm. at it. have you guys seen it? No. I haven't seen it.
2: Carson and I are like, we'll watch horror, but like we're huge pussies. Like oh, uh, really? in October, Paul made us do like four weeks of like double feature horrors every week and we were suffering. Like no I, I do appreciate horror a lot more after Paul put us through that, but also like I am a huge chicken and I live by myself.
1: So would you say, fun. would you say you're a chicken with plums? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Sorry, terrible joke.
0: No, that's I amazing. Would
1: just horror is my all-time favorite genre and um yeah
0: see i'm learning to love horror the issue is it's hard to find the time because it has to be during the day with all the lights on so like as soon as and i get home from work and it's like oh it's kind of getting late i don't want to watch it when it's dark out that's scary so (laughs) it's just you have to find the right times for genre
2: for me i really like slashers now but i'm still afraid of like ghosts and like demon horrors for some reason they really freak me out even though i don't like really believe in that stuff but like no like everyone keeps telling me that i should watch like insidious or things like that and i was like no that looks so scary i don't think i could ever sit through that I think Insidious is like the
0: next franchise I want to watch. I just don't like the process of a jump scare. Like, it's not like, and there's people who like jump scares and are like, feel rewarded afterwards. I don't feel rewarded. I just feel like I'm going to die of a heart attack and then I'm sad. So, see, the thing, that's
1: the thing with the Insidious series is uh, James, something that I've noticed is um, so, jump scares are a very American thing. And James Wan, I feel like, really brought over Eastern Asian types of horror. Uh, introduced that to the Americans or to Americans through his um, you know the insidious and the conjuring series because you don't have as many jump scares as you do the music is more jumpy than um, what he's really introduced to us is that whole idea of um, I guess unapologetic Im- horrific images just coming at you without pause. With jump scares, yeah. you have something that just flashes at you and then goes away. These the insidious movies and the conjuring movies just really push them into your face and they're unrelenting in that. And that's and a very Eastern like Asian Because okay. like for me, that. it's not even jump scares. Cause I feel like with
2: jump scares, you can feel when they're coming, except for the shed and antlers, which still really gets me. I still think about the jump scare and antlers. But no, I really don't like scary faces. Like I remember like when Conjuring 2 was coming out. Uh, I had a bunch of friends in high school that were really into horror, and they were like, okay, we're going to go see this movie, which was happy and cute and not Conjuring too. Then I showed up at the theater, and they were like, just kidding, we're going to see Conjuring 2. And I hadn't seen Conjuring 1, and I was like, oh, you fuckers. And The Nun is, like, literally the scariest thing ever. I hate it. So, like, the I've seen, like, the insidious freak thing also, like, the red face. I don't know what he is, but I don't like it. Like, the thing behind... Patrick Wilson or something I don't know I don't like it I just like for me it's scary faces like one of my biggest fears is like looking out a dark window and just seeing like a face staring at me Mm -hmm. it's never happened to me I'm sure it's quite an irrational thing but I don't like scary
0: faces <laughs> alina i'm afraid when i'm in a swimming pool that a shark is gonna eat me so i think like irrational fears that's not that <laughs> far off I see. Yeah. here's the thing about the like, conjuring 2 is the scariest film i've ever seen in my life and i understand that there's like i get what you're saying about jump scares but my brain also tells me there's gonna be a jump scare so i'm just in mm-hmm. the state of tension thinking i'm gonna okay. get jump scared the end literally for conjuring 2 the entire runtime the entire thing
2: and then you get jump scared and
1: you're like i knew it was coming but it still got me
0: yeah oh yeah
1: <laughs> I'm a masochist I love all of it I'm like <laughs> sitting in my seat every time I get a jump scare I'm like fuck yes I can talk about horror until I die it's just there's so much to say it's just A plus genre um, and I remember in preparation for today you told me that um, we, I could recommend something I yes. do, my rec- my recommendation is horror I watched We're All Going to the World's Fair last night <gasps> do not Alina you might get scared because there's a bit yes. where it's a scary face it's terrifying okay. that movie <gasps> So good. Carson, have you seen it?
0: Yes, I saw it at Sundance, and I'm like in... I'm so happy it's out. I'm in love with it, because I liked it at first, then I did more research on the director, who's a trans director, and then seeing her relationship with the film, and it's like holy shit. It's so good. It's so good.
1: I went and, and now
2: that it's nothing. finally out. I definitely want to see it, because um, I know we've been talking about that film for like a really long time, and like we've been wanting to do it on Clapper House for a while, but... I don't know why it took so long to come
0: out uh we maybe should do that for a patreon review because i think paul also really wants to watch it okay it's so good though and it's like asmr internet culture like it's so good
1: (laughs) and paradoxically it itself just the experience of watching it for me like i watched it with my sister she was terrified but i told her at the end i was like i was weirdly really calmed by this movie just because of the colors it was such like the blue and purple was and the music was stunning it was just a comic experience even as it terrified you love that
0: um transition maybe let's transition recommendations because my recommendation is also horror for some reason um the night house i love the night house last well i was really i was shocked by the night house when we reviewed it on the podcast last summer so we've already reviewed it but i rewatched it this week i got high and rewatched it. it's on hbo max finally and like watch the night house everyone it is so fucking good like and it requires multiple watches but like it is just such a tense but rewarding feature that keeps you guessing and when it goes places it goes places my least favorite thing in horror is when something crazy will happen and then it's like oh but it's just a dream and it's like well that sucks or like or you you don't know if something's happening like if there's a ghost that's just in the shadows but like no here shit happens with ghosts and it's awesome um i love the Nighthouse. please watch it
1: i've been telling people to watch that movie since october like it was in my top halloween picks for exclaim it just oh nobody believes me when i tell them how good it is but thank you carson yes i love you yes movie <laughs> so good um guess what my recommendation is also a horror
2: movie that was so unplanned look wow. at us so insane on the same wavelength look at us. Uh, okay, on Wednesday, it was National Canadian Film Day, um, which is very cute. And I love to support Canadian film when I can, even though sometimes it's very bad. But you know what? I'm quite patriotic. Uh, and I work for the Canadian Film Institute right now. And they were putting on a th- event at the Bytown Cinema in downtown Ottawa with Real Canada for National Canadian Film Day. And the movie was this Film, this horror film called um, Lin-Human. Oh my god, cat. Lin-Human. It's a French movie, like from Quebec, and it means like unhuman. And it's by an indigenous filmmaker. I think he's Algonquin, but I cannot remember for the life of me. But he was at the screening, and so it was like a bunch of the cast. It was like, I don't know if it was like the official premiere, but it was definitely the Ontario premiere. Um, and it was filmed in, like, the Upper Gatineau region, which is, like, super, super local to Ottawa, which is crazy because I don't think I've seen, like, an actual, like, Ottawa-ish based film, so that was cool. Um, and it's basically about – it's like a Wendigo story, so I was really intrigued by it because we we talked mad shit about antlers in the fall and about how I didn't like that it was eh, – a like, an indigenous myth, like, appropriated by white filmmakers. So, like, this is a Wendigo story by actual indigenous people, and it's about this, like, um, native man who's, like, a surgeon. He's, like, cheating on his wife. He is, like, addicted to drugs. He's basically just, like, a huge asshole. And for some reason, his, like, entire life, he's, like, haunted by, like, the Wendigo. And then... You're derailing my train of thought, Doug. Um, So he's haunted by the Wendigo by his, like, entire life. Uh, And he's just, like, his life is, like, shit and going downhill. And then his, like, father passes away. And so he has to go back to his, like, reserve in, I don't know, northern Quebec probably. And, like, scatter his father's ashes. And, yeah, it's it's just – I really liked it. You could like really feel the low budget of it, but I just really appreciate seeing a Wendigo story by actual natives, like on film. It was it was great. I really recommend it. Whenever, it I don't know I don't know what its release plan is. I should really ask Tom. But it was great.
0: Well, that's gonna be it for this episode of Clappercast. Let's say where we can find everyone on social media, and why don't we start with our guest Alicia? Where can we find you and your writing?
1: You can find me on Twitter at um, Alicia Mogul, A-L-I-S-H-A-M-G-L. And yeah, I will link all my writing and have all my mental breakdowns on Twitter and you can find them there. Thank you.
0: Love that. Alina, where can we find you?
1: I am at
2: Alina Falds on Twitter and also Letterboxd and sometimes Instagram.
0: And you can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews letterbox, just Carson Tamar. Thank you so much for listening. You can write us an email at clappercast at gmail.com. Subscribe to our Patreon where we do exclusive reviews, possibly one for we're all going to the world's fair. Uh, We're on letterbox now. If you want to follow us, I guess you can do that. And I think that's everything I have to plug for the show. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss all things cinema. Goodbye.